I don't see anything going on anywhere. Anybody see anything out there? Nope. We are not broadcasting. Uh, it says that it's receiving. So anyway, great. It shows we have low bandwidth going on. Not sure what's going on with that. It shows it should be connected, but it's showing uh, four 19 frames per second, and it's bouncing back and forth. So not sure. There we go. Now we're live. All right. So we finally got it up. Sorry, folks. We're uh, Restream is having some technical difficulties. Not sure that I, uh, you know, not sure what's going on with that, but that's uh, strange in and of itself. Uh, took a... Uh, week off last week went to arizona to shoot some machine guns and uh, get out of town southern california has gone crazy arizona was pretty normal for the most part of course some rioting there but not so bad but uh, hopefully the feed is up and working please let me know in the chat if everything seems to be uh, going okay there i hope it is but uh all kinds of crazy going on. Steve's got a new paper out that he just uh, put together exposing a lot of stuff and uh, wanted to have Steve back. And uh, I wanted to, you know, I kind of have kept quiet over this whole riot thing with uh, George Floyd and the apparent uh, connections to uh, certain actors and whatnot. A whole lot of this thing seems staged and well-funded by George Soros and the Clinton Foundation. But uh, some interesting uh, things came up that uh, suggest something else uh, pretty serious going on. I'm going to show an image here on screen. That's one of them right there. But uh, George Floyd and Chauvin, which is ironically uh, French for chauvinism, uh, knew each other and uh, worked together doing security. And then uh, George Floyd was also apparently a porno star, which is a whole other uh, issue that is not being talked about much. But uh, there's a whole lot of stuff regarding the whole situation that seems really fishy and really, uh, you know, casts a whole lot of doubt on the whole thing. But uh, I wanted to direct people before Steve and I get started here to uh, a video put out by Young Pharaoh on June 1st, and it was taken off of YouTube, but it is on uh PSCP TV, you can find it there. George Floyd riots and anonymous exposed as deep state psyop for the New World Order. And you can also find it on BitChute. This video had almost 2 million views when YouTube falsely took it down and uh, claimed that he was harassing and cyberbullying people. But uh, currently, I am on a 30-day Facebook ban for people who are looking for me there. Don't bother. Uh, I can read your messages, but I can't share, post, comment, reply, all of that good stuff. So anyway, that's going, what's going on on this end. Steve, welcome back to the show. Hi. 
So uh, how have you been? I've been great. Uh, suffered through all the same indignities that everybody else has been suffering through, but I have my doubts about the how much of this is real and how much of this is made up, but we can get into that. Yeah, well, you know, somebody had just uh, asked, uh, he was a porn star, and I had, I thought, an image here for the show tonight to show just that, and now I can't seem to figure out where I placed it. I'm looking on uh, different monitors here, so that's why I'm looking about Here it is. Got it. All right, so here's, uh, if people want to find out more on that, it's uh, Kimberly Brinks with him, and he's going by... uh, uh, Habit or uh, by Big Floyd or something like that. But uh, yeah, so all of this stuff is really, really fishy. You know, I, I don't know what to think of it all. The, 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 the cash cab guy, I think, is the biggest clincher of the whole thing. I mean, that's pretty obviously him um, without any doubt, I, in my opinion. But that's just my opinion, so, you know, don't sue me for having an opinion. I'm sure people will flip out over that, but clearly this is a psychological operation, and the leftist deep state is uh, throwing everything in the kitchen sink to uh, keep the Hillary trials out of the media, and, you know, Hillary could get, uh, well, technically for treason you're supposed to get the death penalty, so who knows what will happen, but... uh, Tim Fenton has done an excellent job of uh, bringing that to trial, so congratulations to him. But uh, anyway, Steve, you want to give a preface for your new article. And, of course, this isn't your area of expertise, but you started doing some digging and found uh, some good stuff. Yeah, I mean, over the years, you end up with like a pile of information that doesn't quite fit in, and you kind of keep it in the back of your mind and things like that. All of a sudden, some things started clicking together. Uh, and I'd like to go through them. But before I do that, I'd like to explain. And, and just really quickly, Mario Gallardo says, uh, I know the cash cab guy from years of watching his show, and that's not him. Okay. Maybe it's not, but sure does look like it. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, what I'd like to do first is this is stuff we've, we've talked about in the past on your show, uh, but I'd like to kind of bring everybody up to speed so that it makes a little bit more sense. As we've talked about, you go back really to Aristotle about you know, a few hundred years before Christ. And Aristotle has kind of a method of, this, of, of knowledge, of making what eventually becomes what we now call logos. And it, it has to do with how man knows reality, uh, how he can be sure that his, his images in his mind match up with what's actually outside of his mind. And that becomes the basis of Christianity and, you know, to be honest, other cultural, you know, religions and philosophies too. This becomes an issue around the 12th, 13th century for various reasons. One is that Aristotle, his whole system hangs on the idea that there's such a thing as essence and substance. And as medicine grows and uh, different things start happening, they, there, there becomes a certain amount of doubt into whether Aristotle's systems work. And so that leads to Descartes. It leads to eventually to Hume and different things. Which, leads, important- to, which leads to quantum physics and 13 realities and all this nonsense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, covered, so, I covered that stuff uh, way back in like 2011 with David Harriman, for those of you who right. want to 
get that right, out of right. the archives. Go ahead. And I mean, it's, it, this is all fairly common knowledge. What what is a little bit uncommon, but it's well known, is that right before the founding of the United States, you had what was called the Scottish Enlightenment, and the Scottish, you you they all these different forces of knowledge and does this work or doesn't work all unite in a very close-knit group of people. One was Adam Smith, one was David Hume, but the one, and one's Immanuel Kant, who actually is in Germany at that time, but is actually of Scottish descent also. Uh, the main guy that mainly gets missed is a philosopher named Thomas Reed, who's a pre Presbyterian minister. And he notices that Kant isn't really dealing with the, the Hume's skepticism very well. And he launches out and he writes a thing, a, uh, actually a book called The Inquirer of the Human Mind. What he does is this all, oddly enough, uh, Adam Smith is in the chair of moral philosophy at, I believe it's Glasgow University. Uh, Thomas Reed follows him in the same chair. And so you have these two dynamite people. One is Adam Smith writes Wealth of Nations, which in a sense becomes the economic basis for the United States. Thomas Reed, which most people don't know about, but he comes up with a very common sense way of handling the problems of Aristotle. That becomes the philosophical founding of the United States. And it, 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 his philosophy in Scottish is called Scottish common sense, but then you, you end up with writers and different people, like Thomas Paine, I think, and they start addressing the idea of common sense as a viable means of writing a constitution and, and leading a nation forward. Uh, among about that same time, you have, we always hear when we list, hear about the history of the United States, we hear about bishops and things like that. But the, 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 Anglo, the English society was becoming elitist. And what was happening is a lot of the United States, people who eventually came to the United States were, were working people, were people who wanted, you know, entrepreneurs, different things like that. But the point of the matter is when a lot of this matches up from this point. You, you can take a course at Hillsdale College, which is a very good course on the Constitution. The, the framers of the Constitution are talking about things like inalienable rights um, and basic, basic concepts that define man as man, going back to very, a very Aristotelian way. And if you look at this, the United States really is what I know what you would call and what I would probably call it has a very much of a logos foundation to it. Uh, the issue is, though, is the issue of slavery. And when they wrote the Constitution, when they wrote the preamble uh, to the Declaration of Independence, they wanted this to be timeless. So they kind of left the slavery issue out of it. Um, the United States had full intent of being of forbidding slavery but they couldn't go forward without somehow buying off the South in some way. So the United States set up the Northwest Territory. That was supposed to be slave-free. Uh, they, they sought a compromise thing in the South, so they knew this was going to be something that would bite them in the long run. But the idea was always that all men were created equal. All men had inalienable rights. It was a limited thing. It wasn't that you're supposed to get welfare. It wasn't supposed to... You're, you know, all the things we've latched on in the end of this. But it was something that you were made by your creator 
Uh, they invoked the name of God and all this. And the idea was that these rights could never be taken away. And there was never a country before that basically looked at these inalienable rights as something granted to every human being and never could possibly be changed. They knew that that was going to be a problem at some point because they did want the South to, to concede these points, never got there until the Civil War. And so what happens is the Civil War from the North side, we always look at as being a war over slavery, but from the South, it, it's, it's a bit different. In the South, it's not so much about slavery, it's about uh, having this administrative, what becomes the administrative state, that you have an elite group of people that run society and they have special privileges over everybody else. Uh, when the South lost the war, they, for about 10, 15 years, the United States actually was a country as it was intended to be at the beginning. But it only took about 15 years or so before uh, this gent Southern gentry and this started going and looking to, to German philosophers like Hegel and uh, you know, eventually Nietzsche and things like that and started looking away, not everybody, but they started looking away of sort of reestablishing on an intellectual level, this elite class of people and they call themselves progressives. And so what happens is these progressives eventually, they, they, the, the first college they set up in the United States is Johns Hopkins, they, which eventually teaches Woodrow Wilson. And, and in, in the paper, you'll see a couple quotes, but Wood, Woodrow Wilson becomes inaugurated as the first progressive president. And what he does right off the bat is he eliminates the idea of inalienable rights in, he says that the preamble of the Constitution or the preamble to the Declaration of Independence is irrelevant. Uh, and he has some reason for doing that in that he sees what, what, they, what they're looking at is how do you, up until then, all votes were considered the basis of law. But as you enter the, the, the 20th century, you have a class of people who figure you know, the votes of the average person aren't going to be good enough to handle all these elite problems we have. So what you do is you create an administrative state where you vote, you vote people in, but you expect the administrative state to be the actual law givers. Uh, but they, they, they enter in an odd situation where they're no longer accountable to the voter. Um, and so what happens, that is sort of the backdrop because all this has to do with slavery, it has to do with what I'm going to get into in a little bit is what happens that puts us in this crisis that we're in right now. Um, you, it, it, does that make sense up to this point? Let's yeah, it does. You know, and uh, progressivism is interestingly another code word for communism, etc. Yeah, but well, it all goes back to Marx. Right. And, you know, we can even trace some of the uh, communist ideology back to like the Massachusetts Bay Colony, et cetera. And I've got a, a quote from the original governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, and it was the, uh, the Commonwealth uh, is what the original name was, which, of course, it still is. But that's another term for communism. And uh, he was saying that the whole thing was an utter failure. And, uh, you know, and there's I've got a really good 
quote about it in in one of my papers. But uh, uh, the you know, and I I showed people that uh, that that uh, young Pharaoh uh, video at the beginning of this. He goes into a whole uh, discussion in this video here, and it was taken down from YouTube at just shy of 2 million uh, views, and he released it on June 1st, but uh, people definitely want to seek this video out. But he goes into how the the left, where the Democrats were the ones who were promoting the slavery, who were the ones who created the KKK, who were the ones who uh, did all of this stuff to uh, keep the slaves in, as slaves, essentially, and that, and uh, one thing, you know, and he cites, it, 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 he apparently cites some of the work that Floyd and I, or that, not Floyd, that Lloyd and I did on Islam. And he shows the uh, KKK and the Quran, uh, which is the, uh, the Islamic, uh, uh, showing the collusion between Islam and the KKK and the Democrats. But another thing that he exposes that I didn't realize before was that I think it was in 1828 the blacks and the re and the whites, uh, conservative whites started the Republican Party together to end slavery, which culminated with uh, Lincoln ending slavery, etc. But the left has spun everything that it was the Republicans and the conservative Christians who were promoting the slavery. They've literally taken and flipped the entire narrative, and I think that was done under. Later on, after what you're discussing with uh, Lyndon Johnson, but uh, anyway, yeah. back to you. Well, I, again, the Republican Party started actually in my town. Um, it, it, it eventually moved its first uh, convention to Ripon, Wisconsin, um, but it, it's it, it's very close to what was going on here. Wisconsin was always set up as a, a non-slave state from the beginning. It was part of the Northwest Territory. What needs to be understood, though, is that we're making it out like the, the, the original founders of the country always had it in their mind to beat up on blacks or something like that. If Take the Hillsdale course. They assure you that from the beginning that the United States had the idea of that this is always central to their heart, but it never, because of various dynamics, the, when Lincoln said, this gives birth to a free nation, to, to the rebirth to a nation. They're literally quoting, he's literally quoting the original founders that this was their original intent. It just because of the dynamics, because of the wars and different things going on, and, and this brewing problem with the South, they couldn't realize that. Uh, now, enough, I, I was just going to yeah. add really quickly, uh, and throughout Texas, and the rest of the country, there were like 40 or 50 some uh, black Republican uh, uh, congressional and Senate representatives and mayors and uh, whatnot all over the place. And uh, the Democrats quickly squashed that. Right, right. And that's a whole nother thing. The thing, though, what, what I and, and, and that's true, that's all true. And it's all it's all history that gets missed. But the thing that I want to impress here is the rise of progressivism in that really what it is is this administrative state where they're not accountable to the voters, they run society, we can suggest things to them, but they're pretty much gonna do what they want anyhow. And the, the big, who actually criticized this form of government 
more than anybody was Karl Marx. Karl Marx insisted that the progressivist agenda would eventually become self-serving and unaccountable to the voters. Which is exactly what we see everywhere with uh, Nancy Pelosi and uh, her nephew running the state of California and them. Uh, I mean, you know, when I was a kid, California was a great place to live. And now there's just about no freedom left here. Right, right. So I hope that brings everybody up to speed here that uh, there's a couple other dynamics that I'll have to backtrack on a little bit to make sense of some of this, but let's, I'll try to move forward here. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to post your paper in the uh, chat here. Okay. Uh, since I talked to you, I was trying to take, you know, a lot of this stuff gets pretty intense. So I was trying to take a break from it all. And I got a book called Hoodwinked. And I, the book was represented in, in the different reviews as a critique of science and, you know, failures in modern science. And this is the real story. Oddly enough, it starts, one of the main things is how we've been hoodwinked with Marxism. In that Hollywood in the 30s knew full well before Hitler was coming around that Stalin was killing up to 20 million Christians but they, they lobbied and they basically buried the whole thing so that it would never come out. And to this day, you go to most places, most people will not admit the fact that, that Stalin was a far, far worse tirade than Hitler. He, but they, they Tyrants, never yeah, it. yeah, exactly. And, you know, and that's on the low end when you combine Stalin, uh, oh, geez, uh, Lenin and uh, who's the other guy, Trotsky, it could have mm -hmm. been upwards of 40 to 60 million people that they murdered. Easily, yeah. 20 million is on the low end. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and still that's going on today all over the world. The Christians are by far the most persecuted people around the world, and that's a big hush-hush. Right. The, the, the funny thing about this book, though, that, that shocked me when I read it, because here I am, I'm, I'm kind of hunkered down during the middle of the COVID quarantine, and by the time I get to the end of the book, the book is actually orchestrated in an odd sort of way to show how bad that progressivism has gotten and how we've been hoodwinked. And oddly enough, he ends with the AIDS crisis as it was orchestrated by Dr. Anthony Fauci, the same, the same person who's been running the COVID virus uh, campaign. Uh, so what, what happens is that, uh, and you can read the paper, but what happens is that AIDS starts out as being a, a thing called GRID. And it's, uh, it has to do with a gay, the resistance of gays to an immune deficiency. And what happens is that he, he sees the issue, but he also has underneath liberal agendas. And what he's doing is he's, he's never really admitting to the public what's going on with AIDS, why, why these people were in an immunolo immunology crisis and what was actually incubating and how it was forming. So it actually, and there's, there's another video on the internet you can look for called Plandemic. Uh, I don't know how much of it is actual factual or not, but it's, it, it explains how Fauci actually took all this data and kind of rigged it so that there wouldn't be a cure, but we were all going to get AIDS. We were all going to die and we we're all, it was a national 
tragedy. But the fact of the matter is we were never all going to get AIDS because it was the product of a specific kind of sexual uh, behavior, practice, right. behavior. And so he, it took 10 years before the actual treatment came out that actually worked for AIDS. But it was stalled because Fauci basically sat on the evidence and had a political agenda. And now you see it. And he, uh, the, the book was written, uh, let me get the author's name here, uh, Cashel. And say the title again. Hoodwink How Intellectual Hucksters Have Hijacked American Culture by Jack Cashel. Now, the thing that's odd about this and uh, just, I'm going to share this on screen really quickly before you continue. So it's Jack Castle, but uh, with uh, with uh, Amazon supporting the riots and everything, I'm you know not inclined to, to suggest people support them in any way anymore. No. So, anyhow, what it comes down to in our present crises is that Fauci used a model from Ferguson in London. And it was going to predict all these deaths and all these problems and, and this, this extraordinary communicability of the COVID virus. Yet, if you look on the internet, a lot of pay people started criticizing this because it went against a thing called FAR's law, spelled F-A-R-R. FAR's law has to do with that now, now we're going, to we're going to go back and bring about what happened right after the founding of the United States, and especially in Britain and different places. Is you, you see the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. So Farr is, is centered in, in England. He starts looking at the different uh, crises going on by the influx of people into London. London is becoming cr crowded, and not only is behavior starting to fall apart, but diseases are starting to crop up that they've never seen before. And the, everybody was at a kind, because the, the, evidently the, the, the medical, uh, the doctors and things like that couldn't quite keep up with the disease, what was going on. So uh, Farr came up with a thing called Farr's Law. And I, I sent you a picture of it, uh, a kind of a graph. The graph shows that, that Farr predicted that it did the, the nature of a disease from a uh, from an epidemiological standpoint is irrelevant to what the disease is. That the disease, all epidemics, all pandemics, all take on a curve, and that curve shows lots of infections early on, followed by three weeks later, two to three weeks later, a smaller curve of people dying. But once that, that later smaller curve passes, the epidemic is pretty much over. At, at, at that point, you will see, according to FAR, you will see a certain amount of cleanup over the next year of people who, were, who missed getting infected the first time around. But for all, and this, this is applied to every epidemic for the last 150 years. FAR, FAR came up with a law in the 1840s. This is the model everybody's been using up until Fauci. Now, the interesting thing about this is tying this all together in an odd sort of way. 
you, you go into this crisis in London at this time where you have lots of people moving together, lots of people getting sick. Farr is basically saying, this is all a product of too dense of a population, too dense of a, uh, you know, a lot of different people from a lot of different areas moving together and making what later is called a behavioral sink. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But all this stuff starts happening at a very interesting point in time because you have far with his far epidemiological model, but you also have another guy named Thomas Malthus. Malthus is really the beginning of all our modern problems in some ways because he comes up with a thing called Malthusian economics. And Malthusian economics is basically that it's predicting a doomsday scenario whereby the population is not going to be able to, to live off the supply. And at some point, supply, uh, population outstrips supply, and you have a crisis situation. Uh, Intercommunism to come fix everything. We're going to take and, all the supplies and redistribute them and keep 90% for ourselves. Yeah, and this is a model you got because that's still with us today in, in the guise of global warming, uh, all that kind of stuff. Even the population bomb by uh, Paul, Dr. Paul Ehrlich was basic on this whole thing too. What's interesting about this in the paper, it's called Tiny Tim, the Future of Humanity, is the biggest, one of the biggest critics of Thomas Malthus at the time was Charles Dickens. And he wrote a, his play called The Christmas Carol, where Scrooge was actually uh, a portrayal of how Dickens saw Malthus. And as being an elitist who basically, you know, kept all the money to himself. Uh, the, the core thing that Thomas Malthus invented was the, was the slogan, survival of the fittest. Malthus was an Anglican priest. He would go to the docks in London and see all these starving, you know, kids overworked, disease, uh, people packed into places. And he would basically go up to them and say, you know, the only way you're going to survive is you earn your right to live. And so Tiny Tim in a Dickens Christmas Carol is basically represents this idea, does man have God-given rights or does he have to earn the right to live? Does he have to earn his rights? This becomes a, not only a core to Darwin's theory, Charles Darwin it basically found his entire theory of evolution on survival of the fittest, but this whole idea of, of changing the founders of the Constitution of the United States from inalienable rights to earning your rights becomes the central piece of progressivism. That now to become a citizen, you have to live up to an elitist standard, uh, the administrative standard of whoever it is, and they will decide whether you get to say what you want to say. They will decide what you, you know, it, it's basically the founding of their modern elitist society. Wow, interesting. Uh, anything? <laughs> or should I go on? Oh, just, uh, yeah, go on. Uh, let me see. Uh, talking about Godwin, William Godwin, uh, Malthus theory preceded a major population boom in the UK due to technological innovation in agriculture. And that's one thing these doom and gloom uh, prophecies always fail to take into account is you know, when they when they created these theories, it's like uh, 
you know, Greta Thunberg's uh, great-grandfather was Cervante, or, uh, what was his, now i got to pull it up, but uh, the guy is who created the greenhouse effect, which is another fraud and another one of these doom and gloom uh, prediction things. But, right. you know, the, you know, it's always, you know, they have this doom and gloom. It was going to be the ice ages when I was in, a kid in the 70s and all of the uh, ice caps were going to, or no, all of everything, everything was going to freeze over and we were going to be in a right. new ice age. And then it was uh, global warming. And then they had to remarket it again to uh, uh, climate change. And so, you know, it's constantly this remarketing of the progressive leftists with their uh with their doom and gloom themes and every single one of them throughout history has failed and has been proved wrong uh so greta thunberg's great-grandfather was savant uh, her dad is savante thunberg but her great-grandfather was savante arenius and he's who he was a big eugenicist and he created the uh, greenhouse effect and was a big influence in the environmental movement. And of course, you know, the entire idea of uh, promoting uh, veganism and vegetarianism is eugenics. Uh, I was watching a video last week of this girl. She was shocked to learn that her, uh, that she was entering uh, menopause at the age of 21. And that's very common for, for strict vegan women to enter menopause in their uh, 20s, and I used to think it was age 29, but uh, who's it's uh, Severage or something like that on uh, YouTube? He's got a whole series of the the epitome of malnourishment uh, regarding veganism, and he shows over and over how people's uh, systems collapsed. I ended up in the ICU for for five and a half days from uh, from uh, eating grains and a vegan diet way back in the day in my 30s, but. Uh, all of it ends up being eugenics and control, and it's always being uh, promoted by these same people. It's like, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter, but then the left puts all the Planned Parenthood centers in black neighborhoods, you know. Right. You know, and well, uh, right, that, and that gets into what I'm about to talk about here is that, and it's true that none of these doom and glooms manifested themselves because you have the the agricultural revolution in England, then you had the industrial revolution, and all the worries were pretty much taken care of. But the idea of survival of the fittest lived on through, through Darwin, through, and eventually that's when Woodrow Wilson becomes president, that's what he quotes. He said, the new nation is no longer going to be found on, on state laws, that it's going to be an evolve, it, no longer a Newton, Newton is the past, Darwin is the future, laws are going to evolve. And they're not going to be written on anything we would call a logo style permanent right. truth. Well, and who was uh, Charles Darwin's propagandist or Darwin's bulldog? Huxley. Thomas Huxley, right? Yeah. So you've always got a Huxley. And he copied Erasmus Darwin too. He didn't even invent the whole thing. Yeah. Well, you know, but you always have a Huxley at the center of this crap. And then Huxley, uh, Thomas Huxley created the X Club, where he placed strategically placed uh, eight academics in specific universities uh, to promote Darwin's hyperbole. Right. The the thing that blows kind of blows the lid off this is that as a young when I was young in high school, I would subscribe to Scientific American, and there was one article that always stuck out in my head, and I 
was one of those things that I parked in my head and never really paid a whole lot of attention, but I knew it had some lasting importance. Uh, there was a guy by the name of John B. Calhoun, who after a hundred years of Darwin decided nobody's ever tested his theory to see if Malthusian economics is actually workable, if, if, if it's an actual real theory, if it's something made up. It, and so he decided to, in order to test this, he would build a colony of rats. And he would figure out what was the perfect colony of rats. He, he worked for the National Institute of Mental Health. Uh, later on, a, a, even a cartoon was made out of this called The Secrets of Nim, right. where they completely took the whole thing and propagandized it and turned it upside down because they wanted to hide the implications of the test because the test was not very, didn't look kindly on, on a lot of these agendas. So what Calhoun did is he built this huge, you can look it up. There's a nice paper on it from the London School of Economics on the internet. If you can find it, there's a couple ones from Scientific America in 1970, I think November, I've got them in the paper. Uh, but what happens is that he builds this, the perfect rat utopia. And then he decides to submit it to all the indignities of overpopulation and uh, different kinds of uh, scarcity of resources and things. So he's basically overpopulating and starving them to see what would happen. And I've got the quote in the paper that I sent you that you can that you've posted. Yeah. Why don't we uh, cover that? What page is that on? Do you remember? Uh, I've got it here. Let me look it up here. This is going to ring a little bit true. It's, I didn't put the page numbers. It's about three or four pages in. Okay. Uh, let's towards see. the end, towards the end. Consequence of behavioral pathology. Okay, got it right here. Uh, and now, so you have to understand now, now you've got a rat colony that basically was healthy rats, nothing wrong with them, all acting perfectly normal. And now we, they put them under the, the psychological stress of having too much population, uh, not enough food. And I'll read, I'll read the quote. The consequence of the behavioral pathology observed were most apparent among the females. Many were unable to carry pregnancy to full term or to survive delivery in their litters if they did. An even greater number after successfully giving birth fell short in the maternal's functions. Among the males, the behavioral disturbances ranged from sexual deviation to cannibalism, from frenetic overactivity to a pathological withdrawal from which individuals would emerge to eat, drink, and move about only when other members of the community were asleep. The social organization of the animals showed equal disruption. Each of the experimental populations divided itself into several groups, in each of which the sex ratios were drastically modified. One group might consist of six or seven females, one male, whereas another would have 20 males and only 10 females. So going back now to Farr's law, and, and think about the progressivist agenda. The progressivist agenda was that we should have open borders, we should have you know dense populations because we should all move to, to urban adopt urban lifestyles get rid of cars uh, live in a, of, a live in a city work in a cubicle and then your whole life perspective is from that of a cubicle which is something that i say often regarding vegans vegans think that food comes from a wrapper at the store they don't do 
hard physical labor like someone does out on a ranch or a farm raising their own food. And you quickly realize that, uh, that the vegetarian or vegan diet cannot sustain you for that type of uh, strenuous labor. And what, I, what I'm proposing here is to make, make the mental link. Look at Farr's law. This all, I mean, it's a brewing pot in London at this time of these laws and these, 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 this research. Look at Farr's law and how it's linked to survival of the fittest. Look at Darwin, how it's linked to survival of the fittest. Look what happens to the progressivist agenda, which is pushing, it, 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 in other words, Farr is saying that the progressivist agenda in the future is the actual breeding pot of disease and, and behavioral dysfunction. And so you wonder why, why is Fauci, I mean, you know this, you look at the Wuhan laboratories, you look at uh, Bill Gates and the different connections, the World Health Organization, it's not no secret that Obama and everybody was funding research in Wuhan to deal with the idea that they knew future, you can find quotes from Bill Gates talking about that he knows there's going to be these epidemics in the future I think he's just trying to head them off by research to find a vaccine so that he can build his utopia future, which is the which is basically densely populated cities, uh, no transportation, but yet a, a very mobile populace which can go pretty much anywhere it will. If you see what I'm saying, you will see that this is precisely the incubation that Far predicted would produce this type of disease. And meanwhile, they're all trying to cover up uh, Farr's work. Right, right. Well, and then you have the behavioral pathology that goes with it. Um, one of the things I put in the, the paper that I recently added it to the one that I sent you was the, map, the voting map of the United States. Uh, the question is, you, everybody knows that liberals pretty much hang in, around in city, large cities, but the question that I would ask is it their preferred, do they, be, they become progressive by, as a preference or is it as I think Calhoun would say, the dense population that is creating these bizarre lifestyles? Right, so uh, you can look at this population map and then you can see the expansion of, well, the odd behavior, you know, uh, <laughs> that's now accepted behavior and and as you say in your paper the more the more diseases a homosexual gets that you know they wear them as an honor badge right and then right. they and then they take all of these antibiotics whereas you know a hundred years ago the behavior wouldn't even last because so many people would die from the behavior from all of the diseases and what's been stripped of the paper, because again, you know, you have movies and things that have, they don't want to admit to the science, in this Scientific American, Scientific America was a real scientific journal. It, it isn't so much anymore. But the main thing was all these pathologies that emerged were ways of dealing that, I wouldn't call them natural, but as a result that these rats were dealing with overpopulation in their own way. So homosexuality, cannibalism and everything were all kind of animalistic attempts to lower the population down to acceptable levels again. So it's a very simple connection in this animal style behavior 
what generates these behaviors? What generates all these, uh, you know, look at, look at society today, all the different uh, problems we have in big cities. And is, it a, is this really an, a, a preferred way of looking at society? Or are all these pathologies really pathological from an overly dense population that leads to disease and leads to these pathologies? And are we just trying to rationalize them so at the interest of progressives? And so we dismiss natural law and logos and everything, truth becomes relative. Right. Rather than being truth itself, you know, a, you know, as the trivium teaches, a contradiction is always a liar and error. You cannot, uh, there are no contradictions in, na in nature. It's like Titus 1-2, God cannot lie. And so uh, once you understand that these are natural laws and that this is the way the universe works and, and you know, the trivium helps you understand this, then... Uh, you can see right. everything going on in society and how they're intentionally going the exact opposite direction. Well, when we repaint the Constitution as being anti-Black or something, that, that was never their intention. The only reason they had tolerated slavery at all was simply because they needed to stand up to Britain, they needed to have a basis of society, and they always intended, intended on getting rid of slavery at some point in time. And they were actually quite aggressive at this, but only within the boundaries of what they could get away with. Um, now, what about, uh, I forget his name, there was a Moor up at Kingston when Kingston, New York was the capital of the uh, colonies uh, before they moved it to Washington, D.C. But there was a Moor who was a president uh, back, before the, back before the founding of the United States, was there not? That, that I don't know about. Now, I've, I've heard, you know, you see, you know, fake news websites like Snopes or something trying to uh, debunk it. But uh, I was out at uh, Kingston about four years ago and uh, went around the original capital. And uh, but that seemed to be the common ideology or, or a common belief there that uh, the United States before George Washington had a black president. Oh yeah, I didn't know that. I the, the thing was, and you there can, was, again, and, and just really quickly, there George Washington was the first president of the United States, but there was like twelve presidents of the colonies before him. Right, 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 right. But the thing is, is that there was two. There, in a sense, there was two United States. The first United States that existed. They had just kicked England out. They, they thought, why don't we create a country where everybody, every vote is immediate, everything is we can do, everybody's got an opinion and stuff like that. And, it, and for 10 years, the United States ran like that. And it was a fiasco because they, there was nothing center. Each colony was printing up its own, its own money. Uh, they, the United States couldn't pay off its debts. Uh, a lot of problems were going on with that. And so when they reconvened to write the constitution, they, they realized they had to have something permanent that they couldn't just move with every whim of every person. So the idea of the constitution was to pr purposely pit right and left, up and down with each other so that over the course of time, we would come up with uh, some eternal laws, eternal truths 
that we could base society on. This was always intended for everybody. It wasn't intended to be for an elite. Uh, but by the time we end up after the Civil War, we end up with this other agenda, which becomes progressivist, that we now have truths only the elite understand, and those are the only ones who can pass laws. So we basically, as a society through election, we hire these people. And once we hire them, we don't have anything to say about it. Yeah, somebody posted uh, John Henson, and somebody else posted uh, uh, William Moore. It could be, uh, or Hanson could have been the Moore. But, uh, you know, I know that's debatable. Here's a photo of uh, John Hanson here. So, anyway, go ahead. I, have, I do have to apologize a little bit. As I explained before, we're having... I'm in Wisconsin, but we're actually having a tropical storm here. It's a, in very unique situations. Tropical storms do work their way up to Wisconsin. And my power is going off and on at the moment. So I hope I can stay with you. Well, we didn't notice even a flicker there. So you need to get a UPS on your computer and then you can just it, go it, right it's through. It's clicking off and on. It's going off and off and on. So Oh, your UPS is? Okay. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I have two underneath this desk just in case. So. So I don't know if I, the paper goes into it much deeper and it does give you the links. I don't, I don't pretend to believe that the paper is the end all of it all. It's just a, a bunch of interesting connections that I think does shed, shed some light on where we are at all, at all this. I think a lot of the things that are happening, a lot of the things we're being kind of fed, I'm not trying to minimize coronavirus or anything like that, but I think there's clearly an attempt to undermine a tried and proven epidemiological model going all the way back in favor of something else. And why this something else when the other one has a proven track record? I think it's very true. The reason is, is that model basically undermines the progressivist agenda. It shows that progressivist utopia would naturally lead to behavioral problems, behavioral pathologies and disease. And we just have to go outside in any major city, and we see that everywhere. You see it everywhere. And look at the map of the – in my article, I give you a map of the United States and the voting things. Yeah, I, sh I showed that on screen. I'll show it again right now so people can see that. Wrong one. Here we go. Go ahead. Why don't you talk about that? It, it, it just – the question is, and I put this in the article, and maybe I could bet, state it better now, is is the – is a democratic leftist persuasion an ideological point of view, or is it bought, brought about by the pathologies introduced by overpopulation in these areas? If you have dense, if you have a dense population, you're going to want to, number one, make strategies whereby you reduce that population. You, know, you want to have less kids. Uh, you're going to want to have sex, perhaps in less, a more sterile version of sex. You're, you know, a lot of these things you have to look at as possible strategies to lower, not, not ideological strategies, but kind of animalistic strategies like the rats to lower the population down to, uh, you know, a level that you think is appropriate to where you live. But then they go and inflict it on the rest of society and the rest of the nation really isn't having those problems. 
And so I'm showing the Planned Parenthood Jaffa memo on screen here, and this is from the memorandum to Bernard Berylson, President, Population Council, found in Activities Relevant to the Study of Population Policy for the U.S., March 11, 1969, by Frederick S. Jaffe, President or Vice President of Planned Parenthood World Population. And on the left column here, uh, under B, it says uh, uh, compulsory education of children, increased homosexuality, or encourage homosexuality. And in the last uh, five, six, seven years, we've seen a boom in the promotion of homosexuality in television shows, magazines, etc. cetera. Uh, fertility control agents in the water supply, and uh, encourage women to work, get the, get the women out of the home and encourage them to chase after a career rather than building a family and being the strong backbone of society that uh, women are when they uh, run the house, you know. And, uh, and, and what they've also done is spin it that uh, men were suppressing the women. And, uh, you know, and so now today we see all of these women in positions like police officers, firefighters, etc., and the idea previously wasn't to suppress women. It was because women had wombs and bore children, and therefore you wanted to protect the women. But the left and the feminists under this same agenda has spun all of that to be the suppression of women. Well, I, I think the thing is, what you see is that the progressive agenda is not just a political outlook for the United States, that they truly believe this is the inevitable outlook of society, that eventually we were, will be laden, unless we do something now, we're gonna be laden with people, we're gonna run out of resources. Uh, none of this have ever, ever proved true. A book everybody should look at is one Charlotte Eisterbit, The Dumbing Down of America. And yeah, she, lists, she lists in there specifically that the agenda of feminism was not really to elevate women. It was basically to get them to go to college, have a career, and so that they would be married in, into their career and not even think about having children until it was too late. She's yeah, got the, she, I agree she with has you. The documents. I, I emailed with her a couple of months ago. She's still alive? Yeah, she's still kicking. But yeah, I've got an autographed hard copy of her book in the other room. Should I go grab yeah, I mean, it so people can see it really quickly? Yeah, go ahead. All right, I'll be right back. I'll let you talk and keep the audience occupied for a minute. All right. Yeah, and the thing is, is a lot of these agendas going back, feminism originally was a marketing campaign by the Bernays, Ed Bernays, uh, it, 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 if I was a woman, I'd, I can't speak for women, but, but I will say that a lot of this idea of feminism really wasn't done to exalt women. Most of these things the progressives are proposing are in service of what they think of as going to be this inevitable conclusion of the world into this mass uh, of overpopulation, global warming, and everything else. And so what their motive behind what they're doing is that basically they think that if we act now and encourage sterile uh, sexuality, yep, that's it. Yeah, you know, and uh, following up on this topic, I had Jennifer Molesky on the show uh, week before last, last episode, uh, discussing feminism and other slow deaths, you know, which is exactly in line with this, and uh, just how they've promoted this 
entire uh, agenda against uh, you know society. So you know, and Charlotte, I mean, if you read the book all the way, it's a thousand pages, but almost ninety percent of that book is just government documents. Charlotte yeah. doesn't says very little in this book. She's just providing the evidence one after another, after another, and after another. What I'm saying here is not somebody's conjecture. Is she's got it documented. Correct. Yeah, you know, and uh, I've also had John Kleidzik on uh, uh, several times, and he's a big fan of her work and kind of carrying on the uh, torch from Charlotte Isabet is, you know, and, and John Taylor Gatto exposed a lot of that stuff as well. Was that a lightning flash or something there, or were you changing? Yeah, my it? my UPS is going off and on every every ten seconds. So. Okay, well, it is six o'clock. If you uh, would like to uh, wrap it up here, we can wrap it up, or do you want to continue on for a few more minutes? Oh, uh, it's up to you. I, as long as I'm working here, it's going off and on, off and on. I don't know why that should be. Uh, it's not lightning at all. Um, anyhow, <laughs> I don't. It doesn't. It's just a lot of rain. It's I don't know. Uh, I think the thing, the, the thing that I think exposes it all is John B. Calhoun's behavioral sink that I think this has been kind of hidden from the public. It was a legitimate, bona fide research. Uh, like I said, it's, but it gave the conclusions that the progressivists would not like in that I would, to, to sum it up, they are purposely and to some degree creating their own problems. What caused the rat colonies to basically go into a psychological pathology was anxiety. And so if you take things like global warming, you take all these threats of overpopulation, which aren't real except in these small isolated areas, where they are actually encouraging overpopulation, you don't see it anywhere. And so you can basically, I think, psychologically manipulate somebody into being a liberal by creating a behavioral sink, because that's literally what happened to the rats. I might quote Miss Gloria Steinem, one of those so assisted who commented that the CIA wanted to do what we wanted to do, present a healthy diverse view of the United States. Never, and, uh, and quoting her, never felt I was being dictated to at all. Director of Central Intelligence, William Colby, quoting Gloria Steinem, of course, in her Playboy Bunny outfit to promote said behavior. Well, and that, think... and that, that quote fits perfectly with the behavioral sink ideology and what the progressivists are trying to achieve. I think the be Calhoun's behavioral sink is the elephant in the room that's there blatantly, but nobody's quite described it because it's pretty much been hidden from the public, but it's the behavioral sink that dense and combined with Farr's law that dense populations, uh, populations that aggressively, you know, open borders type thing that, you know, aggressively mobile, it's going to lead to behavior problems, it's going to lead to a disease. Yeah. That's what's predicted. L. Sterling in the chat says, abort your child, smoke and pay taxes with no man to pro the, that protects you, baby. Mm -hmm. 
exactly. Right. So, uh, any questions in the uh, chat for uh, Steve before we wrap it up here? Anyone? Anyone, Bueller? And thanks for uh, your uh, support. Uh, please hit the like and subscribe. You can go to Logos Media, contribute. Also, uh, show your support through Patreon. We don't know how much of the funds uh, YouTube actually sends us as uh, Young Pharaoh exposed on his show today that uh, he had over 2 million views and his uh, YouTube uh, uh, funds will be about $14 this month. So that's impossible. They're obviously stealing money. And uh, I know there's a number of lawsuits. I need to get on board with the lawsuits on that because uh, they've been uh, throttling and shadow banning my show for about four or five plus years now. It's pretty ridiculous. But uh, I don't see any questions in the uh, chats going on there. I'm uh, just checking around for the different uh, shows. I but... don't. I don't intend my paper to be the end all. I hope somebody researches it, takes it seriously, maybe improves on it, looks at. But it's. A, I think it's some tidbit information that a lot of people don't know about, and that once you know, you can run with a little bit. Right, and uh, any you know, it immediately shuts down. Uh, uh, any uh, liberalist views. Uh, Isle of Aaron says Pagan recently claimed progressivism and Christianity go hand in hand. That sounds like somebody who's never read the Bible. Uh, Christianity is about goodwill, not using the force of government to steal from others and redistribute it. That's a complete lie. Would you agree with that, Steve? I think what, what's interesting, look at the parables in the Bible. Uh, Christ's parables, if stand back a little bit and look at them and be kind of objective. Most of them are economics. And most of them are basically how you should, what you should expect, for, you know, you, typically uh, the master has given you so much money. One person squanders it, another person does something with it. And it's not just a money thing, it's designed to have, uh, to show how goodwill and love and, you know, honest, honesty and truth kind of combined together to a way of life um it's it, it's it, you'd have to get into one of my other deeper books which not tonight but to, it's anything but pagan yeah yeah you know i've i have a cousin who uh went to a catholic uh university and everything and she's a diehard liberal communist um they don't understand that the nazis were national socialists and whatnot they confuse nazism with with italy's fascism and stuff but uh you know she thinks that jesus was the epitome of of a progressive and it's just it's mind-boggling that people come to such false conclusions i mean why would it be called the christian right and why would communist countries like russia go after christians etc and massacre them in droves if Jesus and Christianity were progressive, were communist, it, well, it now, makes now no you, sense. Now you get back into my original book that we talked about was the Dead Sea Scrolls, which <laughs> if, if anybody wants the view on that scroll back to that, did, that did, interview. Yeah, we did that. What was that interview one or two? And this is what your fourth did, one now? This, I think this is the fourth now. So go back and uh, check my earlier shows with Steve and uh, boy, people are buzzing my phone here. But uh, 
Um, we, uh, you know, we, we covered a lot of material on those. I highly recommend that people check those out. I think if we can wrap it up there, Steve, is that a good spot for you? I'm good. I'm good. All right. Uh, again, please like, and subscribe, please, uh, share the love. Uh, your, your support is greatly appreciated. And, uh, we will, I think Chris Mayville may be on next. We will see. I'd like to get young Pharaoh on. I would like to get the guy from San Francisco on as well. I just haven't had the time to bring that together, but that would be a good way to wrap all of this together with, uh, the guy from San Francisco, uh, San Francisco on the show as well. But, um, uh, he's, uh, L Sterling is asking any thoughts on Thomas Paine. Uh, Thomas Paine, as far as I understand, again, like this is not my field of study. It's just like I found things that interesting lined up. His common sense seems to me to be less God-founded than most. Like he was trying to write a comp, but it, it does represent the common sense point, Scottish point of view that I think pervaded in early America that we could base a, con a comp country on on truth in a way that no other country had tried up until then that up until then it was built on hierarchy was built on uh you know mythology a lot of different things but this the whole intents of purpose of the united states was that thomas reed had discovered this thing called common sense tying together all the difficulties of aristotle and hume and all these things and they used that as a foundation for inalienable rights which was granted to everybody at that time unfortunately yep. we didn't live it out until you know later and candace owen and a few others are the only ones exposing this and uh, yeah people really gotta get a grip on what's going on because we're gonna lose it all if we keep following this progressive uh leftist communist socialist agenda you know there it, it all ends badly and you can see it all play out and interestingly as lloyd and i exposed in our 20 episodes on islam that islam and communism go hand in hand so i'm sure much of this is islamic provocateur business going on now if i can provide a little bit of hope um i know i i've listened to other commentators and they all say well life is circular that what comes around at one time will go away and something else comes back I think to be more accurate, if you really look at things, life doesn't really move. History doesn't really move in so much as a sine wave as a, as a sawtooth wave that I think really things do get worse before you know, there, there's a calm before the storm. And then what happens is we get a peak before we get a clearing. Things have to play out until their inevitable conclusion is impossible. And then you'll see things fall apart. And then and probably back. two or three years, five years from now, people look back and go, wow, remember when the left tried to uh, destroy the country and blah, 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 to cover up Hillary Clinton's trial and et cetera. I think, I think that the thing that buries it all, hopefully, is that they take it to its absurd conclusion and people see that. Well, unfortunately, the left's absurd conclusions have ended in mass genocide in almost every instance for the last 200 years. So that's true. You know, all right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Logosmedia.com. Please show your support and love, hit the like and subscribe. Make sure you hit the little bell to get uh, notifications 
I know that uh, YouTube is uh, messing with my view numbers and with the alerts and everything like that. So uh, you may have to unsubscribe and resubscribe and hit the little bell and all of that. Good night, everyone. Thank you for your participation in the chat and much love to you all. Keep safe and uh, I'll keep you all posted uh, for who's next. Maybe Chris Mayville again. He hasn't been on for a couple few years. Always a great guest. And of course, Chris is who does all of the uh, banners and images for the uh, show and the website. So uh, see you all next time. Take care.